Good morning, church. So happy to be here with all of you, and uh, I hope you're happy to be here. It's hard to tell. <laughs> with those masks covering your face, like, how you're doing? How are you, Lon? Like, hard, oh, there's a smile. He's doing okay. He's doing okay. Uh, but uh, hard to know how you're doing. Are you happy to be here? Are you bored and indifferent? Are you, are you anxious? Are you stressed? Kind of hard to know, but I, I hope that underneath that mask there is an anticipation that in being here that uh, you will meet God, as Darren said, and I believe you will. I believe that God has something for each and every one of you that you need, something that you need to hear, something that you need to receive this morning. And so my prayer is just that uh, each one of us, we just have the mind and the heart to say, God, speak to me. Give me what it is that you have for me and for us as a church this morning. Well, if you have a watch, why don't you look at your watch and just tell me what time it is. What time is it? Because I only have an hour to preach, and I don't want to make sure that I'm... Uh, time? Can I have your watch? This young buck here has... What is this called? An Apple Watch. You can control your refrigerator from this watch, I've been told. Like, this is technology these days. It's incredible. And I've heard these things can withstand, like, 500 pounds of, like, pressure. Hey. Okay? They are indestructible, I've heard. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wouldn't try that. Um, I, I don't wear a watch because I, I lose them too quick. But if you have a watch, like, I don't know how often you think of how incredible this thing is or what it all took to make it. You ever thought of like, what all went into this? Some of you take for granted. Can you imagine all, uh, just think of all the people that were involved in making this. The people with completely different skill sets and abilities, right? Like you got the guy, I think there's a bit of metal in here somewhere, precious metal from China. <laughs> I mean, there had to be miners that went into the ground, used explosives, somehow extracted these raw materials from the ground. Someone had to do that you know, with, with certain gifts. And then that had to be sent to a place where they took that raw material and, and these workers in, a, in, in like a steel plant or something, they refined that down, right, into pure metals. And then a truck driver took that and drove that to another place where there were different people, right, like engineers and designers who using computer systems and science and physics designed every component of this to work together. And then there had to be people there that actually using their own skills made and assembled each component to make this watch. And there had to be people in the office there, right, administrators and HR and payroll with a whole bunch of office sort of skills that made sure that the lights stayed on and that the employees were paid and that everything ran smoothly, right? And then when that was made, it had to be like shipped to a store where there was someone who probably didn't have a whole lot of handyman or science sort of skills, but knew how to sell people, like to drop $300 on a watch. Like who does that? Who does that? <laughs> Young kids these days. I just don't. Uh, these things are incredible. Um, yeah. And they use their people skills to be able to, like, pitch a watch and sell this product. Like, and that's how you got the watch. Like, when you really think of 
All that it took, isn't that kind of incredible? All the hands and all the skills, and it's kind of the same for almost everything that we have, most of the things that we just kind of take for granted. But, you know, if you really think of it, you, you begin to understand how interconnected and interdependent we are in all sorts of different ways as humans. And it's really no different in the kingdom of, of God, right? Maybe even more so in the kingdom of God that we are interconnected and we are, are interdependent. And we're going to explore that this morning as we continue our series. We've called Disciples Dissected. If you hear last week, we said that the very best word to define who we are, it's a word that Jesus chose to define His followers, was the word disciple. We are called by God to be disciples. Now, it's not a word we maybe use an awful lot, even though we see it in the Scriptures. And if you kind of think, what does that mean? Well, maybe a great 21st century word is the word apprentice. Right? A disciple is not someone who likes, cheers for, admires somebody else. They're someone who strives to and is working to be like the one they follow. Right? To be like they, the one, their master. A disciple is one who is growing to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Not just to like Jesus, not just to cheer for Jesus, but become like Jesus. That's what we're called to be, called to be disciples. Romans chapter 12, if you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn there. Uh, Romans 12, it's probably one of the best summaries of what a disciple looks like, the anatomy of a disciple. We've called this series Disciples Dissected because what we're doing is we're really just kind of looking deep inside and we're, and we're looking at the various important parts within the life of a disciple that makes a disciple what it is. Like, what are we? What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And so over these four weeks, we're going through Romans chapter 12, which is this, this great kind of diagram of the anatomy of a disciple, and we're discovering what, it, what that looks like. And we're finding that um, Paul here is going to show us that every disciple uh, has four key relationships. We're looking at these four key relationships. Life is all about relationships. I mean, I've been at enough gravesides where I know life is about relationships because people, I, I never hear people there talk about the deceased person's big house. Oh, that house that Jim had. What a house. Or, or you know, like the position he held in the company. It's never that stuff. It's like, it's about being a loving, he's a loving father, loving husband, faithful husband, a loyal friend, a godly man. Like when it comes right down to it, life is all about relationships. And I'm sure that's what we're going to talk about next Sunday afternoon for those of you who go to Rockwood Seminary, a couple miles south of here. Seminary? Cemetery? Uh, a couple miles south of here where uh, the Craker family is going to lay to rest there, Pete Craker's ashes. And just want you to know there's an open invitation from the Craker family for you to join them there at Rockwood Cemetery next Sunday, 1245, for a short time afterwards. They're coming. They're using our church lawn uh, bring your own food for a picnic. There'll be a mic there, an opportunity to share memories, to celebrate his life, and share that with the family. And so I uh, just want you to know that you are invited to that for those of you who considered yourself a friend of Pete, and I know there's many in that category. But I know at that point, it's going to be talk about how Pete was a great friend, and he was a great husband. He was a loving father, and he was a really godly spiritual man, and I know that's what's going to be said there. Life is really all about relationships. And so last week, when we began looking at Romans chapter 12, we saw, of course, that the very first key relationship to disciples is a relationship with God. 
right? This is how Paul begins Romans 12, 1, when he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What is worship? Worship, True worship is offering your whole life, all of yourself, every area of your life, without exception, surrendering that to God to do His will. That's where it begins, the life of a disciple. That's that first key piece, to be devoted to worship, to worship God with our whole life. A disciple is devoted to worship. And we're going to look at the second devotion of a disciple this morning in that second relationship. And my mind, again, was on that very first description of the church that we have in Acts chapter 2. The very first words spoken about this, this new group called the church of Jesus. And this is how it describes this group. First words, Acts chapter 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that is, to the Word, to God's Word, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And all the believers were together, and they held everything in common. Jesus was a communist. Who knew? It doesn't mean that there was no private ownership. What they meant is nobody claimed that what was theirs was just theirs. Everybody used what belonged to them to serve one another and to meet the needs of others. That's the attitude they brought to everything they had. They held everything in common. And then a couple chapters later, it kind of unpacks that. All the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, that is His first church, that there were no needy persons among them. I love that description. That just stirs my heart. This first church, wildly different people that a few days before were strangers, all they held in common was their common faith in Jesus, Right? And they were so devoted to serve one another with what they had that it, at that place in time, it was said that there were no needy persons among them. To me, that's pretty incredible. I mean, there, there's no social safety net, you know, no pension, no welfare. Just people serving one another and meeting each other's needs. This was the vision, God's vision for the church we're going to speak about this morning. No needy persons among them. This morning we're talking about a disciple being devoted to service. Devoted to service. And so we're going to look at verses 3 to 8 of Romans 12. And so again, if you have a Bible there in, in print on your phone, why don't you take a look at that? Keep it open because we're going to spend our time in these verses. And let me tell you, if you don't have a Bible... Or if you kind of just like have grandma's old Bible that was given to you at one point, but it's got words you don't understand, like old English, and you want something that's just a little more user-friendly, in our resource center here, we now have like Bibles of a variety of different types, you know, for uh, like study Bibles, and those geared more towards uh, kids and teens, journaling Bibles, and so maybe you need, to, uh, need something or you need to upgrade, because uh, I just love it if, um, you know, one of my dreams for, for this church is to see everybody walk in with a Bible, ready to open it together. And maybe even a pen, ready to underline and mark how God is speaking to them. All that to say, they're available there to be sold at cost. They're really cheap. You can go there after the service. Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed 
to each one of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. All right. He begins by, sh- by showing us how we're supposed to think of ourselves. And so the, kind of the second key relationship is, is our relationship with ourself, okay? How we think of ourselves. Because he uses that word think four times in the first verse. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, literally in the Greek, but rather think of yourself with proper thinking, okay? Sober judgment in the Greek is actually just the same word, slightly different version of the same word. He uses that word think four different times, right, in relationship to yourself. So this is all about how a disciple of Jesus is supposed to think about themselves. And you know, we think about ourselves a lot. I'm not saying in any sort of prideful sense, but, but I don't know if you talk to yourself. <laughs> Some of you do, I see it, and it's weird, okay? Um, I talk to myself, all the, whether we use an outdoor, outside voice, and I do that. Um, family catches me all the time. Uh, or whether it's just kind of the inner voice. We're always talking to ourselves. A study said, um, found, found that the average person has between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts a day. So it didn't say so, but I'm going to guess men are closer to 12,000 and women are closer to 60,000. That might be unfair, but I'm just going to guess that's about how it would work out. Uh, but 80% of those are negative thoughts, okay? We are always talking to ourselves about who we think we are all the time. And so this is what Paul is addressing here. He's telling us how to not think drunk. He's saying there's two ways that you can kind of think about yourself in a drunk sort of way, right? Sober judgment, the opposite of being drunk, literally means, because we don't use that word a lot, right? Sober judgment means to be in touch with reality, to think of something as it really is, an accurate thought, okay? But a drunken thought would be one that's distorted. Do you remember that commercial? I haven't seen it in many years, but as a kid, it really jumped out at me because I thought it was really quite profound. You remember like that guy driving the car late at night in the city and it's dark and it, and it's and it's him, right, the first-person perspective, and then that first beer glass, empty beer glass goes in front, and, and it's just a little bit cloudier as vision, and then the second beer glass, and then the third beer glass, and slowly the, the, his vision gets distorted, it gets warped in such a way that he can't really see things for how they actually are. Remember, he turns a corner, and then he has the car crash, right? So, so a distortion of view, sober judgment is to think rightly, about yourself. Paul says that there's a couple ways that we can think drunk about ourselves. First of all, we can be drunk by thinking too highly of ourselves, he says. That's what he begins by saying, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. You know, there are some people that have an inflated view of one's own importance and abilities and kind of the world revolves around them. And, and what does that mean to have an inflated view of oneself? It probably means to think of oneself as self-sufficient. Like having everything you need, not lacking anything. 
but being complete, the complete package. Ladies, is there such thing as the complete package? <laughs> Erica, is there such thing as the complete package? No, she says, no, there is not. Any amens to that, ladies? Men, no woman's the complete package. Any amens to that, men? <laughs> no, no guy's ever brave enough to do that. <laughs> I mean, to think more highly of yourself is, is to think that you have no need of another. You are self-sufficient, not lacking complete. But Paul says we need to accept that we are not and we have not all that we need. And we cannot do everything that we need to do. He, so he'll say in 1 Corinthians 12, 21, he'll say, picking up on this idea of the church as a body, parts of a body, he'll say, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. Why? Because you do. The eye does need the hand. It can see really good, but it can't do anything about it. And the head can come up with the plan, but it cannot bring it to fruition. It cannot enact that. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. And he says we can be drunk by thinking too lowly of ourselves. And there's some, some of you in the room, you struggle with that. Notice that he never says, see others as better than you. Because sometimes I think we think that's what the Bible says. See others as better than you. Because it says things that are close to that but not that, right? Like Paul will say in, in Philippians chapter 2, to consider other people's interests above your own. But he never says, the Bible never says that we are to see other people as better than we see ourselves, to think too lowly of ourselves. And so he'll say here in the second half of verse 3, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Now, when I've read that in the past, I thought that meant God gives some people more faith and God gives some people lesser faith and it just is what it is, so just deal with it. It's the way God works. Right? So he's talking about the amount of faith. But, but as I've studied this, I've realized it's actually the very opposite of that. Literally in the Greek, Paul will say, uh, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given to each of you. The measure of faith. Now that word measure in the Greek is metron from where we get meter. Right? Meter is that basic unit of measurement. So we have lots of meters, kilometer. You know, we have, we have parts of meters, centimeter, millimeter, right? But that's that basic unit of measurement. And he's saying, measure yourself through your faith that each of you possess. Uh, essentially, what he's saying, I think, is that we are to evaluate ourselves through the truth of the gospel. It's the gospel that tells us who we are and who we are not. That's our measuring stick. It's not what we think of ourselves. It's not what other people think of us. It's not what mom and dad thinks of us. It's what God thinks of us as communicated through the gospel. That is to be our measure for ourselves. And what is the gospel? Well, you know the gospel. It's not complicated. God made us, each and every one of us, in His image to know Him, to enjoy Him, and to live forever with Him. That's the purpose for which He made you. 
But sin's gotten in the way. All of us have fallen into sin in this broken world, and we're broken, and we're flawed, and we're imperfect, and all have fallen short of God's plan for our lives. But God, because He loved us so much, He sent His Son Jesus into the world to live the life that you and I couldn't live, and on the cross to pay our debt to God, to win for us God's forgiveness And to make a path to right relationship with God because God loved us. And now we can be redeemed. We can be made right with God and have a new life through faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. We are made new, each one of us, he says. That's the gospel. I am a sinner saved by God's grace. So the gospel keeps us from getting too high, right? Because I'm a sinner. I need God's mercy. That's, some, that's hard for some people to accept. You can never work your way to heaven. That's a bridge too far. All of us are in need of the mercy of God without exception, right? The gospel humbles us, first of all, right? Which is why Jesus, when He opens a Sermon on the Mount, He begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The only way into the kingdom of heaven is is to become utterly poor in spirit, to know your neediness of God's mercy. So the gospel keeps us from getting too high on ourselves, but on the other side, it keeps us from getting too low on ourselves because we are sinners, yes, but we are sinners saved by God's grace because He loves you and He cares for you and He wants good things for you and He wants you to know eternal life with Him. We are saved by God's love and His grace. He is rich in mercy. And that's true for every one of us who are disciples of Jesus. And so Paul will say this in Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, he'll say, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. In other words, you, you got... You, got, you wear kingly robes. You're clothed with Christ, with His righteousness in the sight of God. So therefore, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for all are one in Christ. All of God's children, He, he, he gives the same love and care for, have the same worth in the Father's eyes. And I mean, I, I know this as a father. Like, I've got three daughters, and they're all different ages and different stages of of knowledge and capability, but my love for my three daughters is the same, 100% the same. I remember when uh, Eric and I were first married, we were were talking about the family that we were going to have. My first kid was going to be a boy named Thomas. And I was going to be his parent pitch coach. I had it all figured out, you know. And, and I was going to, we were going to, we were going to throw the baseball out on the street all the time. He'd be a ball player. Be everything his daddy couldn't be. So Eric, I was pregnant. We are in the hospital there in Steinbeck, waiting. And, and my second kid was going to be an Abigail. We had decided a girl, Abigail, at the matching set. Oh, I can hardly wait. It's a girl, yes. It's a girl. We're going to do it in that order. Yes. This is awesome. And right away, Annika, she was good at sports. Right from the very beginning. 
She was strong. She was fast. She was athletic. And, and she's only become more and more so. She can, she can throw a ball almost as hard and far as I can. Which maybe says something about me more than it says about her, now that I think about it. You know, but she made, the, she made the junior varsity girls volleyball team at Stonewall this last week, and I'm, I'm excited because I'm fulfilling my dream maybe of having a kid in school, you know, high school sports that I can follow around, like no pressure, right? But um, uh, anyway, I'm just very proud of her. But uh, yeah, I'm going to try to do this church proud. So I, I can kind of intense in, in the sporting arena, and I'm going to try to not like embarrass you or embarrass God by yelling at referees or heckling the girls on the other team. So she's my athlete. And then, and then Erica's pregnant again, and I remember they're just waiting, waiting. It's a girl. Yes, another girl, Britta. And Britta, she's pretty good at sports too, but boy, if Annika's our athletic one, Britta is our creative one. Right from the beginning, like stories. She just makes up these incredible stories. And she has this incredible gift with art. It's amazing. But it's been with her, like right from the beginning we saw that. And then there was a third one that came along. What is it going to be? It's a girl! Yes! Pippa. And she's not in the room, so I don't have to say anything nice about Pippa. <laughs> but if Annika's more athletic one, and Pippa's, or Britta's more creative one, then, then Pippa, she's good at that stuff too, but, but she's our social butterfly. She's our actress. She's our comedian. The other two, they wouldn't want to be called up here, but Pippa would love to be the center of attention, right? She loves to be with people 24 hours a day. They're just so different. It's incredible. And you know what? I love them all the same, but I didn't choose that for them. No, it's not that I would choose any different, but I didn't choose that for them. So I'm a father, so I know the love of God, but God's fatherhood runs deeper this is what David says in, in Psalm 139. You'll see it up on the screen there. David says, in speaking to God, he said, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Does that sound kind of arrogant? Not to the person who knows God and who's, who they are in Jesus. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, God. I know that full well. So here you have David saying to God, God, when you made me, you did a good job. When I look at the person I am, I, I don't know if, some, if you can say that. Some of you, you need to say that to yourself. Like, this is true. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, every one of you, because you were God's idea. I mean, I, I received what I was given, but God thought of you he knit you together, you know, tall, short, different features, different skills, natural skills and personalities and passions, right? That's because God in His design for you made you that way. He, you are His handiwork, Paul says in Ephesians 2, God's handiwork. When God made you, He did a good job. That's what David is saying there. And that's true for each in every one of us. So there's a way in which we are the same. We are the same, and, and yet there's a way in which we are different, Paul says. How are we to think of ourselves? Well, he'll go on to say, 
as persons with different gifts in one body. Look at verses uh, 4 to 6. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others, and we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us, right? We all have different differences, different gifts, right? God has equipped you with a unique personality and passions and given you unique experiences and unique abilities, and you are not the same person. You have the same worth as the person who sits beside you, but you are very different from the person that sits right beside you on purpose, on purpose. Why did God do this? So that together, all of us together, bringing our different gifts and needs, we could come together and be complete so that there would be no needy person among them, which isn't just a material thing, but that we would be complete not only in a material sense, but in a relational sense and an emotional sense and in a spiritual sense that we might be complete. There were no needy persons among them. And this is God's deliberate plan for His church. He ordered His church to be interdependent. You're needy on purpose. You better not be needy. You never... You better not be. You better not be not needy. That took me a while. You are needy on purpose. Because there's someone else that God has given a gift, something to use in your life. And there's something that God has given you for the purpose of using it in the life of another, in the life of the church, right? To serve the other that all may be built up and complete in Christ Jesus. That's God's plan. You know, He's given you everything you need, but He hasn't given it all to you. That's what that means. He's given some of what you need to somebody else. And God has given everything the other person needs. Uh, he, God has given everything the person beside you needs, but He's given some of it to you. He hasn't given it directly to each of us. He's dispersed it this way so that we can come together, use the gifts, the skills, the talents, the experiences that God has placed in each of us to together be whole, to be complete. So you know what that means. That means that we belong to one another. That's what he says. If God has given you what he has, not just for your sake, but for the sake of another, and if God has given some need in your life so that God could use another in your life, what that means is that we belong to one another. That's what he says. For each of us has one body with many members, and each member belongs to all the others. So that's, Paul says, this is the correct view of yourself. You belong not to yourself alone, but you belong to one another. God has given you something that another needs, and you have a need that God wants another to meet. And so Paul will say in the book of 1 Corinthians, man, the church in Corinth was messed up. Like, if, if I ever feel bad about my church, and, and I don't very often, I read 1 Corinthians and I go, yeah, we're okay. Yeah, we're all right. 
Nah, cause it, I mean, there's some messed up stuff going on here. So if you think like the first church was pristine, and it's just the 21st cent- century church that has the problems, and if you just went to a different church, you know, you'd, you'd find that perfect church, you won't. Or if you come here and you're new and you think, ah, I think this is going to be the perfect church, it won't be. I mean, this church had its problems. I mean, and they were proud. They were high on themselves. Anyway, Paul says this to this church, chapter 4, verse 7. He says, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Do you really think you're any different from anybody else? He says, what do you have that you did not receive? Which is a way of saying, listen, don't think that everything you have, your education, your, your resources, your money, your skills, whatever, did, do you think that all just came from you? No, 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 no. That's all God's grace in your life. You have nothing that originated with you. Everything you have, you have by God's grace. That in His plan for you, He has allowed, He has given it to you. He's allowed you to be in certain families and have certain experiences that have made you who you are and given you what you have. Everything you have is God's grace. Therefore, you're responsible to God for it. So the question isn't, man, look what I have. What am I going to do with this? It's God. Look what you gave me. What do you want me to do with this? If, if our gifts, our abilities, our grace, and that's what he calls it, God has given us each grace, that means this is something we didn't earn or achieve. It's something that God has given, freely given to each and every one of us. What that makes us is that makes us stewards of everything we have. We are but stewards of our experiences, of our skills, of our knowledge, of our resources. And so the right question for the disciple who's devoted to service is, why did you make me this way? Why did you allow that to happen in my life? Why did you give this to me? And and the answer will always be, so that I can use you to serve the needs of others that the church may be built up lacking nothing, that the kingdom of God might be advanced to meet the needs of others. So you see, a disciple recognizes, first of all, that they, that they have a gift. They have gifts, recognizes that they are stewards of those gifts, not owners, but they are stewards entrusted with these things from God and that they are devoted to use them to serve others, to serve one another. So what has God given you? How has God made you? Such a way that you are able to serve others and meet needs. That can take so many different forms. I mean, look what he says in verse 6 to 8. He just runs through a list. Just, he's like, here's a sampling, church. I mean, it's the tip of the iceberg. Here's a sample. He says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Now, that doesn't mean telling the future. Everyone thinks they know what's going to happen with COVID. It's, you don't know. I'm sick of Christians pretending like they know. We don't know. We trust God. We can speculate. We don't know. Let's not get caught up in that stuff. Let's just serve God. Let's be faithful to be godly witnesses, to fellowship, to worship. Done that detour. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. It's not telling the future. It's taking God's general word and applying it in a kind of a powerful, profound way to a very specific situation. 
That, that's prophecy in a sense, right? If it's serving, then serve. Serving, you know, that, that's just kind of a catch-all word for, hey, if you've got muscles and you've got time and you can help in the kitchen and you can help like move all that stuff and you can help on the church roof like 26 of you did last weekend. For those of you who helped, 26 people went up on the roof. 25 came down. We lost one, but that's okay. Those are, those are pretty good. I didn't like him anyway, so that's okay. So they all came down, thank God, because bad stuff can happen when you're that high. It all went well. 26 people came and they worked from morning till night, Saturday, Friday to get that done. So thank you for those of you who are in that number. That's serving, right? Using time, muscle, sweat, whatever, just to meet needs. So that's a very practical sort of thing. So maybe some people can't teach. That's the next one. We know what that is or the prophesy, but, but maybe it's more that behind-the-scenes kind of serving. That's really important. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. I mean, there's some of you, you just, people are attracted to you because you just have this way of encouraging people and giving them wisdom and building them up, good counsel. You're just good at it. People are attracted to you for that. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, if you have a good ability for like strategic thinking to kind of look ahead and, and, and kind of discern the path forward and plan all of that, strategic thinking, if it's to lead, then do it diligently. We need people like that. If it's to show mercy, then to do it cheerfully. Mercy is just someone who really sees the outsider. Like if you notice the people that other people don't notice, right? You just walk by, but, but you're keenly aware of like these people that are more disadvantaged on the fringe, the outsiders, and, you're, and you just, you've always had that heart for the outsider, the disadvantage, then maybe you have the gift of mercy. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. And I mean, so this is just a sampling of, of all the array of different gifts and abilities and passions that God can give a person. So what does that look like in your life? How do you discern that? I just want to talk about that in our last few minutes here. How do you discern your gifts? I just want to give you a few suggestions what we need to do is um, we need to do the work of self-examination. And I just, here's a few questions you can ask yourself if you want to take mental note of these or jot them down. Um, self-examination questions. What are you passionate about? What am I passionate about? And maybe some of those passions come from your own different experiences, good experiences or bad experiences, that I give you passion for a certain sort of people or a certain type of situation. Like there's a couple in our church, uh, Kevin and Heather McClelland. She runs Financial Peace University, which starts in a few weeks, right? Which is a course that, help, that uses biblical wisdom and practical tools to help people find financial health. And if you know the McClelland story, you know the things they went through that were hard. And they went and they sought help and they found this course and it changed their life and it changed their situation. And it, and it gave her such a passion that you know, they, together they've brought it in here and they've already, they, just, they, they want to run it once, twice a year because there's so many people in our church and in our community that need this sort of help. And they have a passion for this from their own experience. And so I've seen many of you in the room go through that and I've seen incredible things happen in people's lives, not just in their financial life, but in their spiritual life through someone just taking their own experience and using that. My wife, Erica, you know, like I, I, I remember years ago, when there were times where she was struggling with, pretty severely with some mental health issues. And 
in, in the middle of the night, just like debilitating panic attacks. I remember a number of times having to take her to the hospital. In the middle of the night, is she dying? What's happening? And there was a season in life which was so hard for her, for all of us, but you know what? It equipped her. She came through that, and it has equipped her and given her this kind of this passion to help people who are there. And she's kind of used that now as she's moved into the ministry of counseling. And my mom, my mom lost my younger sister, Desiree, when I was six, right? Desiree died during childbirth. And it was a huge sorrow for my parents and my family. But it gave my mom a calling to help people in grief who've lost children. And so after she navigated her own grief, she would just scour the newspapers for obituaries where, where children had died. And then she would reach out to the, to the parents with a letter and some cookies and an offer of help. And that was her ministry. So what are you passionate about? Maybe it comes from an experience, maybe it is. What are you passionate about? What do you enjoy? What do you find satisfying? Some of you, you just love, you just love social interaction. You'd want to be with people all day long. You're such wonderful hosts. You should be greeters at church. You sh- we really need you at the front with your smile and your warmth. You should be at the welcome center. You should be in the newcomers team. You should be on our outreach team. Like, that, like you just are good with people. There's others, you just like being in a setting like that. Oh, it just drains you. You just can't wait to get out of that setting. And that's not, that's not bad. That's the way God has wired you. And there's other sorts of ministry, <clears throat> that serving ministry that God is, you know, that is life-giving, that is satisfying, that's enjoyable to you, working with your hands or planning and administration. What do you enjoy? What problems do you see? I've, I've, I've found that if you see problems that other people don't see, it might be because that's an area where God has equipped you and is calling you to serve. Pastor, there's just all these cliques in our church. You know, people just gather and their little cliques are friendship. And I, and I see the person off in the, you know, the, the, new, the new people over here kind of standing here like this and, and, you know, not knowing what to do, kind of on the outsider. And I think that's wrong, Pastor. We need to be a friendlier church. Absolutely we do. So do you want to do that ministry? Right? I, I think maybe, I think maybe God has equipped you to serve to meet that need. What problems do you see? What are you good at? What are you good at? What would other people say you're good at if you asked? Maybe you're good at technology, some of you young people. You can use your technological passions and gifts to serve up there. We have need of people up there in other ways in the church and elsewhere. Maybe it's technology. Some of you are good at making money. Do you wish you had that gift? I've prayed for it. God hasn't given it to me. In fact, I think I could have a very profitable business if I charged you money to get financial advice from me and then you did exactly the opposite. That might be a very successful strategy because I do not have the gift, but some, have you met those people? They just have a knack. They know how to like do a business, be profitable, whatever they, you know, are involved in kind of turns to gold and that's a gift. Whoever has the whoever um, has the gift of giving, give generously. I, I remember a guy in, in Sault Ste. Marie where we used to where I used to pastor over there, and, and and he ran this big engineering company. 
And he was a really busy guy, very successful. We had hired them to do our new church, a devout Christian guy. And, uh, you know, very successful business, well-to-do guy, but very busy, right? This huge, biggest firm out, out in the city. And um, he was telling me one day about how he was kind of discouraged because people in his church were kind of getting on his case for why he didn't, like, volunteer in the Sunday school. Like, they had these three categories that everybody had to do, and that's what service looked like. And he said, it's just not me. Like, I, 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 for me to run this, I don't have the time to do this. I can't do that. And they were kind of, it, it was guilt being put on him. But you know what? You know, when our church, when we discovered on day one of building this new church, when we bought this building that the roof was compromised, and we had to buy a new roof, and it was going to cost $150,000, and it doubled our, our budget for this build, and we're like, what, God? And so we, got, we, we had to do it. We got halfway through the project. We ran out of money, and we're literally sitting there going, we have no more money. We're halfway through building the church. What do we do? The next day, he didn't know this. He calls, and he says, oh, hey, by the way, if you guys are at a point where you need any money, I've got lots of money, and I would be willing to loan you whatever you need, no repayment terms, no interest, pay it back when you can, if you can. And we finished the church and eventually paid it all back. That was his gift, Right? Like he saw that as what he could do to support. Did you know Jesus had that? This little verse, Luke chapter 8. You know, there's the 12 disciples who do come and do the teaching and the healing. Luke chapter 8 tells about these three women that were, G, that were, that were the disciples' benefactors. There was Joanna. She was the wife of, Her, of, of the manager of King Herod's household. She was well-connected and well-to-do. And, and they funded Jesus' ministry, these couple of women. There's just one little verse. Easy to miss. And yet, oh, so important, it wouldn't have happened without them. They had to eat. They had to travel. What are you good at? It takes so many different forms. What has God given you that you can use to serve others? So examine yourself with those questions. And and here's what, what else I would say. Just try. We learn through experience. You know, in general, you don't learn your gifts before you do ministry. You normally learn how God has shaped you as you do ministry, as you serve, as you go through life. So if you're waiting to know until you do, it doesn't really work that way. Nope. It's... Um, it's a lot easier to steer a moving car than a parked car. You know, if you ever tried turning the handle, the wheel on a, on a parked car, it is hard. But if that car is moving, you can steer it to the left, you can steer it to the right. And, and, I, and I, 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 I think this is the attitude we need to take as disciples devoted to service. Let us serve and let's let God guide our steps as, as, we, as we try, as we step out in service. You know what? Trying something and deciding it's not your thing is not failure. That's success. You know what? There was a need for that. I tried that. It's not really my thing. That's not failure. That, that's success, right? You've learned more about how God has made you and what He's calling you to do. So, what I would say to you is serve, try, and see how God will guide you. On the back of um, this little pamphlet that some of you grabbed when we came in, they're on little stools on your way out. If you didn't get one, grab one. It just itemizes some of the ways in the church we have need right now of people that can serve. 
like there's almost every gift represented here. I, I, I won't rattle through them, but, the, but there's almost every sort of type of person and gift that we need currently in the life of this church. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of ways that you can serve to build up the body and advance God's kingdom. But I would just encourage you to look at that and just ask God, God, is there some way that you want me to serve right now to meet a current need? Um, you know, because COVID has kind of interrupted everything. COVID's interrupted our, our friendships. It's interrupted our, you know, our ability to gather and worship, and it's interrupted our service. I was just talking to my brother and sister-in-law who left this morning to go back to Fargo-Moorhead. He's the chairman of the board of a big church in Moorhead, and, and they've just started gathering in Sunday school. And he said, we can't get workers for Sunday school. We have all this need, and, and only one quarter, we only have one quarter of the volunteers that we need. People just aren't coming back. And this is something that we're all experiencing. We've got out of the habit of service. Now, I'm not saying that you got to do what you did before. Not at all. Maybe now's a good time for change. What I am saying is God calls us all to serve. And you need to listen to His leading in your life. So maybe that's stepping out of something you did and stepping into something new. But I came across this meme. You can throw up there. We're almost done. Little one. I thought, I think this, I read this, I thought of Angela. I thought of Angela here. A list of people volunteering for children's ministry. Yep. So, you know, we certainly have a, we have all these kids, but we have need back there. And there's this other meme my, my wife sent to me a, a day or two ago. And some of you that are a little more techie might get it. Scheduling volunteers be like, hi, 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 hi. Echo, 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 echo. Can you help this weekend? <laughs> Scene, 1248, scene, 1248, scene, 1248, silence. We're having a really tough time getting people to serve. And I get it. We're all kind of out of our rhythm. Some of us, we're not sure. We're a little more cautious. But I just want you to know that um, there are needs. If you are looking to help, if you are looking to make a difference, there are ways. There are ways. Whatever your gift is, use it. And if you don't know, try it. Employ what God has given you for the service of others, whatever it might be, because our Lord and Savior Jesus, He said, I have come not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Now, He did something we couldn't do. He saved. His service was saving us, among other things. You're not called to save, thank God, but you are called to serve. Because our Lord is a servant leader, and we are disciples who don't just like Him, but want to become like Him. As a disciple, we too are called to be devoted to serve, to play our God-given role, not to be what we wish we were, because some of you don't think you've got anything of worth, but boy, if you were that person or if you had that gift, not to be the person we wish we were or the person that someone else wishes we were but to be the person that God made us to be and God has equipped us to be. And, and when you play your God-given role, that is the key to living a significant life. That is the key to a life of significance when you play your role in service to others. For Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe that? It is more blessed to give than to receive? And some of you... You've experienced that. You know the reward there is in serving in a way that makes a difference. That makes a difference. And everything we do, 
big or small, using what we have to serve the needs of others makes an eternal difference in the kingdom of God. Even if you don't see it all, it makes a difference. And one day in heaven we'll know the difference it all made. But Jesus says this, Matthew 13, closing with this. He talks about the the kingdom of heaven and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. The smallest seed, you think it ain't going to become much of anything. When that's planted, look what God can do with it. You'll never know what God can do through what you give in service to Him, in service to others. When you put it in His hands. But that's the key to living a significant life, being devoted to serve others with what God has given you, to play your God-given part. So let me ask you a question, bringing this to a close. Would you say that you are devoted to service? Just think of your own life. Would you say that you are devoted to service? How can you become more devoted to service? What has God given you that maybe you haven't even recognized as a gift? Maybe it's an experience that was a bad experience that you would like to lock up in a closet. I used to be a drunk. There's someone in this church I met last week, I had no idea, has a crippling addiction with alcohol, needs help. I said, there are people in this church who used to be alcoholics. Are you you serious? There are? (laughs) Absolutely there are. And I bet one of them would maybe be happy to come alongside you. And that's not, you know, all you need. But someone would come and they've been there and they can help. What has God given you? And how can you use it to serve and build up others? And so let me just invite you into a moment of prayer. I want to give you an opportunity to talk to God. Why don't you just take a moment first to thank God that He made you. And, and say to God, God, when you made me, you did a good job. You know, with my personality and my appearance, my passions, when you made me, God, you did a good job. Just take a moment to thank Him for making you the way you are. Take another moment and say, God, would you show me these gifts that apparently you've given to me? Would you show me what I have to offer God? And and then would you show me and lead me to, to know how I can use that to serve others?
just offer yourself to God. God, say, I want to be devoted to service. I want to be used by you. I want to lead a significant life. I want to make a difference. Show me how I can make a difference. Why don't you continue that conversation with God when you go back home, you know, to your house, to your week, to your life. Continue that conversation. Allow God to speak into and show you who you are, what he's given you, and how you can use that to bless others so that there may be no needy persons among us. Can you stand and I'll pray and then we'll sing one final song together. God, we just view your mercy again and we're going to sing of your mercy here just in a moment. Your mercy expressed in your son Jesus who laid down his life, who came and he left heaven and he left all his glory and he set it to the side and he came and he took our form and he served us and he laid himself down so that we might live, that we might know you and have life to the fullest and lead a, a, a truly significant life and make a difference in this world and make a difference for eternity. And I thank you, God, for everyone in this room. Lord, you made each and every one and each one is unique. Each one is wonderfully made. So God, would you just show us what it would look like for us to take what you've entrusted to us and to employ that for the good of others. That together, New Life Church, together we might be complete, lacking in nothing, fully mature in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and together we say, amen.